You know, and they had to be laughing inside. Abraham, he's an old man, so is Sarah. He doesn't even have a baby yet. What do you mean a father of many? He's a father of none. How, How can that be? But it doesn't matter to Abraham what other people think. The only thing that matters to Abraham is what God thinks. Hello and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is senior pastor at Buford, South Carolina's Community Bible Church. In our study of Romans chapter 4, today we look at exactly when it is someone comes to faith. When they go from that point of believing about Jesus being God and dying and then being resurrected, to actually trusting in the risen Savior and in His sufficiency to save. To find that moment of transition, Pastor Brogy returns to Genesis and looks at the faith of Father Abraham. The faith of a true believer is not a hope-so, maybe-so kind of salvation. It's a no-so salvation. The Bible says, He that believes in the Son of God may know, not wonder, hope, think, know that they have eternal life. If you're here today and you're uncertain that if this were your last day on earth, if you were to die or Christ were to return, then you have not yet exercised true, genuine faith, and God would invite you to do so today. Look again at verse 16. For this reason, it is by faith, I have that word underlined, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, that also is underlined in my Bible, so that the promise, I have that underlined, the words the promise, will be guaranteed to all, I have that underscored, Those are words I want you to put together in your theology. Faith, grace, the promise, all. Please understand, God could not make the promise that he has made to all, Jew and Gentile alike, unless he saved us on the same basis by grace through faith. So he says, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, meaning Jews who had traced their physical descent back to Abraham, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, that is all believers, be they Jewish or Gentile, who is the father of us all. So he's kind of turned it upside down on them. He's reminding them that Abraham was saved at 85, circumcised at 99, that Abraham couldn't be saved by his obedience to the law because Moses hadn't even yet been born. God doesn't save on that basis. Abraham was saved as a Gentile. You know, we don't always think of Abraham as a Gentile. We think of him merely as a Jew, but he was a Gentile initially. You say, what were the people before Abraham? Was was Adam a Gentile? Well, probably not. Some would say he was. I'd call him a humantile. Uh, The the word uh, goyim, nation, and ethne in the New Testament refers to the various peoples of the world. And the nations of the world didn't really start until Genesis 10 at the Tower of Babel, when God dispersed the peoples of the world, Genesis 10 and 11. So Abraham is a Gentile, so he's turned it upside down on them. He's basically saying to the Jews, you need to do what Abraham did as a Gentile. He simply came by grace alone through faith alone. It's a magnificent argument that he has given. And then he gives some scriptural support to remind him here in verse 17. As it is written, a father of many nations, I have that little word S, at the end of nations circled in my Bible. A father of many nations I have made you. Not one nation, Paul's point is, but many nations, not just Jews, but Gentiles as well. Now that's where we left off last time. And remember this whole chapter with that brief snippet 
apart from that brief snippet on David, the whole chapter deals with our father Abraham. And he's illustrating in these 25 verses what he ended chapter 3 with, for we maintain that a man is saved or justified by faith apart from works. Now Abraham, as he's going to be, as he's already been referred to in verse 11, is the father of all who believe. If he's the father of all who believe, if he's the prototype, if he's the model, we would do well to learn what lessons we can learn from Abraham. Because without faith, the Bible says, it is absolutely impossible to please God. Now, if you want to jot down some notes, I want us to learn three timeless principles about the faith of Abraham. First, that Abraham received God's way of salvation. Abraham first received God's way of salvation. That's the point of verses 17 and 18. Again, as it is written, a father of many nations I have made you, and the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who, and if you will notice carefully, God does two things. First, he gives life to the dead, and second, God calls into being that which does not exist. And that's exactly what Abraham did. He believed in God who gives life to the dead and who calls into being that which does not exist. You can't find a better description of faith than that. Just taking God at his word, because you believe God, you believe that God can do the impossible. And on the basis of these two dimensions of faith, Abraham becomes a model for us to follow. So he says here in verse 18, in hope against hope, he believed so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. And hope against hope, that is to say in the face of absolute impossibility, Abraham had total confidence that God would do that which he has promised. Now, when he says this, you will notice the type change here in the, in the New American Standard, right? It goes to all caps. That tells you it's from where? Old Testament, first half of the Bible. Different publishers do it different ways, but that's how the NAS does it, and that's the one I teach from because it's so precise. Um, he's telling you it's from the Old Testament. So he presupposes you have an understanding of this text, but let me refresh you with it. Go to the book of Genesis, if you will, chapter 15 for just a moment. Genesis chapter 15. You need to turn there. Genesis chapter 15. It's interesting as you read Romans, in fact, as you read many New Testament books, you're often brought back to the book of Genesis. Now remember, the uh, book titles in the Bible are not inspired, and in a few Bibles, you know, different titles are given different ways, like the epistle to the Hebrews. Uh, I have one Bible in my study that says the epistle of Paul to the Hebrews. Well, that was somebody's call that Paul wrote Hebrews, but those titles are not inspired. In fact, if you were a Jew, the title of this first book that they would write on the outside of the scroll was Bereshit, which means in the beginning. And we have adopted a Greek title for the first five books of the Bible. The first book we call Genosios, Genesis, which means beginnings. So it's not surprising that God would bring us back to the book of beginnings. Because if we remember the foundational truths, then we will understand the structure that is built upon them. Genesis 15. Now, by the way, when you come to Genesis 15, this is the very first vision given in all the Bible. It's not the first time God appeared to Abram, but it's the first vision. Uh, the first time, according to Acts 7, is when he was down in Ur of Chaldee. And God said, get up, leave, go to the place I'm going to show you. And he goes. 
And then when you come to Genesis 12, uh, he left Ur and he's in Haran. And God says a second time. Why he stopped in Haran, the Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe his daddy was getting sick, but after his daddy died, Terah, he is moved and God says, keep going to the place that I'll show you. Now, this is the third time, and it's described here as a vision. After these things, verse 1 says, after the war with the kings in that previous chapter and his encounter with the high priest Melchizedek, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. I don't know how that happened. I don't know if he was awakened in the middle of the night. I don't know if this vision came in his sleep. I don't know if there was some visible presence, some bright light. God doesn't give us the mechanics of the vision. We're not told. Now, we live in a day where it's hard to conceive of this concept of a vision. But remember, at this point in human history, there is no written Bible. So God would communicate in different ways. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not fear Abram. Now, I love that. It's so personal. He doesn't say, Do not fear but do not fear Abram. By the way, God knows your name. The hairs on your head are numbered. He cares deeply about you as he did Abram. Do not fear Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Notice his response. Abram said, O Lord God, that you will give me since I am childless. What will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And what does that mean? It means that in his house, remember he has no children, he nor Sarah, no kids. The oldest servant in his house is a man by the name of Eleazar. And he says, listen, God, I remember you told me, it's recorded in Genesis 12, that you're going to bless me, that you're going to make my name great, that I'm going to be a blessing to many people, but I don't have any children. Sarah hasn't told me that, um, that, that she's pregnant. That must mean, of course, God, that you're going to make this promise happen through a servant in my house who's going to be my heir, Eleazar of Damascus. Since you have given me no offspring to, my, to one born in my house, he is my heir. Notice what God says in verse 4. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir. In the Hebrew text, the word order is not normal. The very first word is no. God is kind of pounding the pulpit. No, it's not Eleazar. Don't ever think like that. My promise is that I'm going to give you a son. The verse continues. But one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. God is saying, Abram, please understand very clearly what I'm saying. So he takes him outside the tent. Verse 5, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. God says to his friend Abram, step outside. He looks up in the sky, and you've been out in maybe the country where there's no lights, and you've been out there on one of those magnificent nights, and you know it had to be a perfect night for Abram, for God to do this. It seems like the whole sky was filled with stars. Can you count the stars? That's what your descendants will be like. And then the Bible says, he believed in the Lord, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. You see, in hope against hope, Abraham is not Eleazar. A descendant is going to come from your loins, and it just kind of comes together for him. Remember, it, 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 when he's 75 years old, as recorded in Genesis 12, God says, listen, go to the land that I'm going to show you, and I'm going to make you a great nation. 
So he left in faith. Now he's 85, 86 years old, and God said, listen, I'm going to give you a baby in which I'm going to pull this promise off, and this baby is going to be your baby. You're going to have a baby. No longer shall you be called Abram, exalted father, but your name shall be Abraham, that is, father of a multitude, for I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. Verse 6, I have made you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I'm reading Genesis 17 now. So again, he's, he's 99 years old at this point, and God is taking it a little bit further with him. You're going to have a boy, Abram, and I want you to understand, I'm not going to call you Abram anymore. I'm going to rename you. I'm going to call you Abraham. Now, no doubt, people smiled when they heard him say that. Abraham goes back to the camp and he says to his men, oh, don't call me Abram anymore. God has changed my name. Call me Abraham, father of a multitude. You know, and they had to be laughing inside. Abraham, he's an old man, so is Sarah. He doesn't even have a baby yet. What do you mean a father of many? He's a father of none. How, how can that be? But it doesn't matter to Abraham what other people think. The only thing that matters to Abraham is what God thinks. When I was a student at Boston College, I was in the School of Management, and there was a friend uh, who I studied a lot with, just a good friend. We studied our marketing and financing and accounting courses, and I was in the CPA program there, and got my degree in accounting, and I told him one day, uh, I I'm going to go into the ministry. You know what he did? He, he just laughed. You gotta be kidding me. What do you mean going to the ministry? You've been studying to be an accountant. Listen, you let the word get out down in the office in your marine unit where you do your thing every day, whatever job you may have, and you let it get out. You believe what? You believe that God created the world? You mean to tell me that you're not going out to drink some beer with us tonight? You mean you're not going to go with us to find some women tonight? What do you believe? You believe that God's going to work and orchestrate the details and steps of your life? Listen, it doesn't matter what other people think. The only thing that matters is what God thinks. Now notice... Abram wants some clarification, so God tightens the promise here in chapter 17 and verse 15. Notice, if you will, then God said to Abram, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, which means my princess, but Sarah, princess shall be her name. She's not only going to be your wife, Abraham, She's going to be the princess of entire nations. Notice, I will bless her, and indeed, I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Now, on three different occasions, if you remember, laughter is associated with Isaac's birth. But unlike Sarah's laugh, which we'll see in a moment, is a laugh of unbelief that God could do it, Abraham's laugh is a laugh of astonishment that God would do it. And the text will draw that out, as will Paul's commentary in Romans chapter 4. 
Abraham, it says here, fell on his face and laughed. And so he looks for clarification. He doesn't laugh out of rebellion. He doesn't laugh out of unbelief. He says, oh God, you obviously don't mean Sarah. I mean, you closed her womb a long time ago. Maybe I misunderstood what you said. And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God said, no. But Sarah, your wife will bear a son. That's real clear, Abraham. Sarah is going to be the mother. Sarah, your wife will bear a son, and you shall call his name Yitzhak, which is Hebrew for meaning he laughs. Sarah, your wife will bear a son, and you'll call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. That's the plan I have for you and Sarah So don't worry about Ishmael, because I have a plan for him too. Notice, as for Ishmael, I've heard you, which tells me that Abraham had thought it was going to be Ishmael, this son they had through Hagar. He thought that God was going to pull it off through this man. He'd been praying about it. I've heard you about this. I've heard your prayer. And that's one of the reasons he laughs. Because for all this time, he'd been praying about Ishmael, that God's going to do this, make him a great nation through Ishmael. And God says, no, it's not Ishmael. Verse 21, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. Now, that's the first time laughter is associated with his birth. The second time, turn over a page to Genesis 18, Genesis chapter 18, And let's look at verse 9. A short time later, God shows up on a hot afternoon at Abram's tent. There's three people who come. And two of the people in the next chapter are called angels. But there's a third person who's a very special person who is here. Look at chapter 18, verse 9. Then they said to him, these three men, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, there in the tent. Now, why does God ask that question? Didn't God know? Remember, whenever God asks questions in the Bible, it's never for information. He's an omniscient God. But he wants to pull Sarah's ear up to the tent flap. You know, my wife and I were in a restaurant some years ago, and the person in the next booth over said, do you know what Carl Brogy said? And my ear just kind of, you know, went right there. You know, that's what God is doing here with Sarah. He said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. In fact, twice over, the New Testament says that both of their bodies were as good as dead in both Hebrews and in Romans. And so here in Genesis 21, we learn that when Isaac is born... Sarah is 90, Abraham is 100. And notice her response in verse 12, she laughed to herself. Literally, the text reads, she laughed within. You've done that before, haven't you? Someone has said something absolutely crazy and you want to be polite so you don't laugh out loud, but on the inside, you're dying. She laughed to herself saying, after I've become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I bear a child when I am so old? By the way, the Lord said this, because one of these three men is not an ordinary angel. These are angels. One is the angel, a special angel. Some would refer to him as the angel of the Lord. Some as God the Father, that this is not a Christophany, but a 
uh, theophany. In either case, there are times in the Old Testament when God appears as an angel, especially the second member of the Trinity, uh, before the incarnation. After the incarnation, Jesus never shows up as an angel. But when angels do appear in the Bible, they can appear as humans, such, so much so you don't even know that you're entertaining one, Hebrews says. And when they always show up, they always show up as men. But there's one angel who's no ordinary angel, and that's obvious because he's called God. He's called the Lord. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did she laugh? Now, how did this angel know that? Because this angel is the Lord. This angel is omniscient, unlike other created angels. This angel knew what Abraham didn't even know. What was done silently on the other side of the tent flap that Sarah was laughing within. And you know when God says that, that has to freak her out. In fact, she's frightened at this point. Now God asks a question. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? That is one of the great rhetorical questions in the Bible. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? And that's a question that we need to ask today. There are some of you here today. You're being eaten up on the inside by some kind of challenge that you're facing. And you need to stop and remember, is anything too difficult for God? Is it any wonder that the devil wants to suck the miraculous out of the Bible? Is it any wonder that the devil wants to deny the very first verse in the Bible? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If the fact of God is real, If the first verse of the Bible is real, and it is, then God can do anything. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? Of course not. At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. She blurts out the lie through the tent flap. I didn't laugh. God very compassionately, very gently, very kindly says, no, Sarah, you laughed. Now, she laughed in unbelief. Now, remember, God had said some months before in Genesis 17, Sarah, you're going to have a baby. And God comes again a few months later. We're not exactly sure. But a few months later, it appears. And uh, he tells her, Yeah, you're going to have a baby at this time next year. She laughs. Now, she repents, by the way, of her unbelief, because when the New Testament gives us commentary on her life in Hebrews 11.11, it says, by faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive. But at this point, Abraham is the channel of blessing to that family. And by the way, that's a sermon in itself. Sometimes you have a couple, and one is walking by faith, one is believing God, and that person becomes the channel of blessing for the rest of the family, and sometimes brings the other unbelieving spouse along. Now turn over a few more pages to Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21. There's a third occasion when laughter is associated with Isaac's birth. The appointed time, just as God said, she conceives. And so this uh, 90-year-old woman goes into labor, and we read here in verse 3, Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Again, the word for laughter. Now notice again the great laughter that comes into this house. Verse 5. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. 
Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. Now here the laughter is not in amazement or unbelief, but just enjoy. You know, you go into a hospital room and there's a brand new baby and there's smiles on faces and there's joy and there's laughter. Can you imagine the feel of this scene? He's a hundred, she's 90, people come by their tent, they've got this little precious baby and people are just laughing with excitement and praise and they're hugging each other. Isn't God good? And Isaac, of course, becomes a type The New Testament says, an illustration, a picture of Christ. Jesus is called the monogene. For God so loved the world, he gave his monogene. His uniquely only begotten son. There's only one person in all the Bible who's called the monogene other than Jesus. And that's Isaac. Because Isaac is the product of a miracle birth. Jesus, of course, in a different way. Where God, the Holy Spirit, comes over the womb of the Virgin Mary. But he's still a miracle baby. And in that sense, he's a picture of what the Lord Jesus is going to do. And so now the laughter is just spontaneous. The house is filled with laughter. And I hope that your homes have laughter in them. That's a healthy home where God's people with their children can laugh. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Verse 7, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Now go back to Romans 4. Again, Paul presupposes that we have a handle on the Old Testament text or that you're willing to study it. Back here in Romans 4, verse 18, it says, In hope against hope, he, Abraham, believed, so that he might become a father of many nations, According to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. And so Romans 4, 18 and 19, highlighting really primarily Genesis 12 to 15, teaches us that Abraham received God's word. Now there are people who come here on a Sunday morning who receive God's word. They don't say this is a lie, this is false, this is heresy. They receive it as true, but they don't always respond. Abraham, as we'll see in a moment, is not yet saved. He's received God's word, but beyond that, he believes God's word. Abraham then believed God's way of salvation. That's verses 19 to 22. Notice verse 19. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. From God's point of view, their bodies were as good as dead. Now, many of us, we, we hit obstacles in life, and we let those obstacles rule our life and rule our thinking. But here is a man who, without becoming weak in faith, he thought about his own body, he thought about Sarah's body, and he believed the promise that God had made. To listen to today's study, part one of The Faith of Father Abraham, Visit the Search the Scriptures website at searchthescriptures.org and look up program ROM20. You can also find it on our Apple and Android apps available from the iTunes Store and Google Play Store, respectively. And if you can help support Search the Scriptures with a one-time gift or perhaps even by becoming a monthly supporter, we would be most grateful. Just call 877-787-7478. Tomorrow, Dr. Brogy's wife, Audrey, is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. 
And when we return Monday, we'll conclude our look at the faith of Father Abraham. Join us then as we search the scriptures.